two readings this morning. The first one is from Jeremiah, chapter 23, 1 to 6. This is a prophecy about the righteous branch, and as we know, Jesus is the righteous branch. So Jeremiah, chapter 23, 1 to 6. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous saviour. Second reading is from Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 37 through to chapter 12, verse 12. In this section, we have Jesus speaking woe to the Pharisees and the experts in the law. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, Clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practised the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things... You insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill 
and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Thank you, Lyndall. Good morning. Well, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? War is a terrible thing. In the last few weeks, we've heard the drums of war in Europe beating louder and louder, and now it has begun. Who knows where it will all end? Uh, there has been already and will be much more uh, destruction and bloodshed and grief. Wise people do everything they can to avoid war. Uh, for a time, there was a concerted effort at diplomacy. Um, leaders and foreign ministers of various nations negotiated with Russia back and forth until it all fell apart. When conflicting positions will not back down, then the outcome is war. We've been on a journey with Jesus in Luke's Gospel. So he makes his way from Galilee, where he grew up, down to Jerusalem. Last week we heard how he drove out an evil spirit and Jesus explained what was happening. 
But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Just click one, one um, further forward there. There we go. Jesus the king is invading the devil's territory and releasing his captives. So these dark spiritual powers are no match for Jesus. They flee away at just a word from him. But there's another group who see what's happening and who are actually becoming more determined in their opposition to Jesus. The Jewish leaders. In our passage for today, Jesus reveals what is going on behind this hostility. We'll see two worldviews in conflict. And if unresolved, they will lead to awful consequences. When these Bible events took place, the drums of war were sounding, but diplomacy was still an option. And so we hear from Jesus, stern words to be sure. It's last-ditch stuff, urging his opponents to repent and to fall in with him while there is still time. Let's see how it pans out. The key difference between Jesus and his opponents can be seen in who they fear. So come with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. There are lots of reasons for people to be afraid. Here Jesus mentions two of the big ones, other people and the living God. And he acknowledges that other people can be scary. They can exclude you, insult you, torment you. They can even kill the body. That's a big deal. But Jesus says that's trivial compared to what God can do. The living God has authority after you die to throw you into hell. Jesus speaks about hell more than any other. I found 13 references to hell in the New Testament. 11 of them are on the lips of Jesus. He describes it as a place of never-ending fire. And he pleads with us to do all we can to avoid going there. God is the judge. God alone has the authority to spare us from hell or to send us there. Now we know that deep down when we stop and think about it. Or at least we know now because Jesus has told us. You would think that would be reason enough to fear God more than we fear other people. Why is it that so often we worry about the approval of other people more than we worry about what God thinks? We can see and touch and vividly interact with flesh and blood creatures in a way that seems more real than relating to God. And we have to deal with people in the here and now. The judgment of God can feel like a rumbling storm just out of sight. And of course there's that inbuilt distortion of reality that the Bible calls our sinful nature, like a crazy carnival mirror that makes ourselves big and God small in our imaginations. 
Whatever's going on, when you stop and think about it, Jesus is right. We should fear God. Our fear of God should crowd out our fear of other people. Jesus speaks of our fear in other places. He speaks about our loves. So here's Matthew 10. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus wants us to love him more than any other. He deserves that love. Or John 12, 42. Many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. See how the love of human praise and the fear of being excluded go hand in hand. And together they suppress the right fear of God, the love of his approval, which should lead to openly acknowledging faith in Jesus. Coming back to Luke 12, Jesus says, Don't fear other people or crave their praise. Fear God. Above all else, long for his approval. And there's a surprising twist in the tale of what Jesus says. Have a look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. When we fear God, turn around and submit to him as God, what do we discover? We don't need to be afraid. Did you, did you see that there? Fear God. And then because we discover that God is actually a loving heavenly father, don't be afraid. Now, how can this be? God is a just judge. He knows our secrets. What could possibly calm our fears and change our destination from hell to heaven? I'll answer that question in a little while. Before I do that, let me show you how our passage fleshes out these two worldviews, living in the fear of other people and in fear of God. So come back to Luke chapter 11, verse 37. We see Jesus confronting his opponents because they had perfected religion for the sake of other people. How did you feel when Lyndall read that passage earlier? It's scary stuff, isn't it? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, roused to fury by these religious pretenders. It was a stern warning for them, last-ditch diplomacy. And it's a warning for us too. Jesus says, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Here it is on display. So let's learn to recognise it, see where it leads, and be warned. This form of religion is outwardly impressive. They make a big show, washing their hands before every meal. Uh, They are fussy about keeping the rules. They give a tenth of every last plant in their herb garden. They give money to public religious causes like building tombs for the prophets. They make up lots of new rules 
so that everyone knows that they're really seriously holy. But Jesus is furious because for all their outward gloss, they are inwardly corrupt. They stink on the inside. Verse 39, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Verse 42, they pluck their herbs, but they don't give a fig for justice and the love of God. Verse 44, you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. No sign of danger on the outside, but inside, dead, putrid. These guys wore the mask of being God-pleasers, but underneath they were self-promoters. See in verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Back in Luke 10, Jesus told us that the two greatest commandments in the law are love God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And these listed leaders had twisted the commandments into pretend to love God and strive to impress your neighbour. Here is the heart of religious hypocrisy. Pretending to love God and in effect and in reality longing for the approval, the respect, the, the good um, opinion of other people. Well, how do leaders of God's people with God's law, how do they justify this kind of hypocrisy? They had become skilled at rejecting God's word. That's the other key feature of religious hypocrisy. These leaders had learned how to twist and nullify God's word. God's word unleashed can be devastating. It cuts deeply into our souls and humbles us. And so these leaders had tamed God's word, made it manageable, held it at arm's length. In a parallel passage, Jesus quotes Isaiah to describe these leaders. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Like making sure that you wash your hands before you eat. Or he says, they do not practice what they preach. Matthew 23. It's one rule for thee and another for me. But the most serious symptom of this rejection of God's word is their hostility to Jesus. They're quick to find fault with him. Earlier in this chapter, they watched him free a man from a demon and accused him of being in league with the devil. The voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And the Jewish leaders were saying, We will not. We will try to silence him. Remember, if Jesus really is the Messiah, then the whole Old Testament, their Bible, has been laying the groundwork, preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. If they reject Jesus, then they reject the work of all the prophets, from Abel in Genesis 4 to Zechariah at the end of 2 Chronicles. They align themselves with their ancestors who killed the prophets 
If they reject Jesus, their guilt will be even greater than all who have gone before. That's what religion for the sake of other people looks like. Hypocrisy and the rejection of God's word. Where does it lead? We need to acknowledge that religious hypocrites do often gain the respect they crave. They are outwardly impressive, after all. We cannot see into people's hearts the way that Jesus does. And so we take people at face value. In Matthew 6, Jesus says that hypocrites do receive a reward of sorts when they are honoured by others, only in the here and now, only from other people, not from God. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But in the end, religious hypocrites will face God's judgment on the day when secrets are revealed. Then the outer shell will be stripped away and the rottenness within exposed. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you, says Jesus. And sadly, religious leaders like this will lead many others to the same terrible fate. See in verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. With these religious leaders guiding them, the people of Israel could only hope to become hypocrites themselves, under the judgment of God, facing hell. These leaders were guilty of doing what the leaders in Jeremiah's time had done. They drove the sheep away from God. They did not care for the sheep. With leaders like this, the whole house of Israel was doomed. So is this kind of hypocrisy a danger for us? Yes! I know my own heart. I really want other people to like me. And it's much easier to keep the externals nice and tidy than to deal with the dark places in my heart. I find it much harder to pray in secret, which you will never see, than to polish a sermon, which you will see. The details will be different for you, but I'm sure you can relate. God have mercy on us. What hope do we have? Praise God, we have the Lord Jesus. Back in Jeremiah, God promised to remove those wicked shepherds and to raise up a new shepherd, a king, who would gather and tend the flock so that they could live in safety and be genuinely fruitful. In Luke 11, we not only see judgment fall on the false shepherds, but we see the good shepherd revealed. See his integrity in the face of such hostility. Jesus knew that these powerful men were out to get him. And yet Jesus boldly speaks truth to power. Jesus valued God's approval above the approval of human beings. These things really needed to be said. For the sake of the crowds who'd been following these hypocrites, for God's sake... 
God is not honoured by pretend love. Jesus loved God. He loved his neighbour. And so he spoke the truth, though he knew full well it would cost him his life. You know, the only person who could say these things and be heard is someone who is not a hypocrite, someone with integrity. No one could prove Jesus guilty of sin. Jesus is God's man through and through, and so he delivered God's stern warning, though it cost him his life. The second thing to notice about this good shepherd is his humble service that gives life. Back in chapter 9, Jesus had told his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It wasn't that long after this dinner party that Jesus humbled himself to suffer and die on a cross. He humbly served the desperate and defiled. He gave his life so that sinners from every nation might have the hope of eternal life. And then he rose, victorious over every dark power, to rule as king and to intercede with God for his grateful followers. Are you seeing the contrast between the Jewish leaders and the good shepherd? They were hypocrites. Jesus was a man of integrity. They wanted people to serve them, but Jesus came to serve us and to bring us life. And here is the answer to that earlier question. What could possibly calm our fears and change our destination from heaven to hell? Jesus can. Only Jesus. The good shepherd God has sent. Jesus is our great model of what it looks like to live in the fear of God. And he calls us as his disciples to do the same, to fear God. He urges us to lift our eyes from the people all around us, to look up, to remember the God who made us, who sees everything. He urges us to look forward to the coming judgment day when all hidden things will be revealed and all proud hypocrites cut down. What does this new life, living in the fear of God, look like? Well, the most important thing it was, is that we take refuge in the Messiah God has sent. Unlike the hypocrites, we acknowledge our moral bankruptcy and call out to Jesus for mercy and forgiveness. Verse 8 in chapter 12, Jesus says, I tell you, Whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of heaven. I gladly acknowledge Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is the saviour I need. Jesus is God's king. And I commit my life to serving Jesus and making his name great. Jesus has begun a good work in me. Although I freely admit I've got a long way to go. Early in chapter 11, Jesus promised his followers the gift of God's spirit to bring about change from the heart. God's spirit teaches us to 
love God's word, to obey it, and so to be transformed in all of life. That's what living in the fear of God looks like. Where does it lead? Have a look at verse 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Now Jesus doesn't have in mind here a polite, curious forum where his disciples will be invited to share the life-saving message of the gospel. He's preparing his disciples for suffering. They'll be dragged before these hostile courts and abused and condemned, just like Jesus was. And that's how it turned out in the book of Acts and ever since. As long as God allows this godless world to roll on, it will always be like this. We've been spared this kind of thing for a long time. But the tide is turning and it might get worse. Don't be afraid. The worst they can do is kill the body. Living in the fear of God under the protection of the Lord Jesus results in confidence now. As I said earlier, we come to know God as our Father who cares for us. Verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And we are freed from the oppressive tyranny of trying to please a multitude of different people. We come and sit at Jesus' feet and listen and obey him alone. And beyond this life, Jesus promises to welcome us into heaven. See verse 8 again. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. This is an outrageous claim from Jesus. He is the host of heaven. He has the authority to welcome us into the courts of heaven and to protect us. This mention of the angels of God reminds us of the terrifying armies in God's service. The angels are not cuddly, sheet-wearing cherubs. Just one of them put to death 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in a single night. They are mighty warriors. Imagine them on that future day, row upon row, as far as the eye can see. And Jesus will say, This one is mine, bought my, by my blood. He, she, is welcome for all eternity. What a day that will be. We are living in momentous times. A new war has begun. But much more importantly, we are living in the time when peace with God is on offer. Have you taken up his offer? Have you turned from your hostility to take refuge in Jesus? The offer is still on the table. Diplomacy is still an option. It's not too late. But don't be like the religious hypocrites. At that time, it wasn't too late for them to turn around. Chapter 12, verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. The Spirit's work is to point to Jesus, 
to honour him as God's saviour and king. And anyone who resists that work, who continues to reject Jesus throughout their life, will not be forgiven. Because there's no other saviour that God has sent. Perhaps you need to find out more about this Jesus. Fair enough. We would love to help you. Please let us know if that's where you're at and someone will make contact with you. If you're ready to follow Jesus and live in the fear of God, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I invite you to pray with me. But don't keep putting it off. God's time for diplomacy won't last forever. If you are already a disciple of Jesus, then this passage reminds us that we are living in the time for proclamation. Verse 8 again. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of heaven. We're down to verse 11. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Jesus wants us to go public with our allegiance to him. He deserves that. He wants others to know about him too. The news about Jesus is the great hope for our world. Do your friends, family, work colleagues, do they know that you're a Christian? I've been asking my friends over the last couple of weeks, what's your favourite way of letting people know that you're a Christian? You could... um, I guess have a public prayer meeting like these Christians in Ukraine in the middle of winter. Um, But here's three other good ideas that I've heard. Live a life of integrity and love. Yes, absolutely. We ought to be different in a good way. Thankful, gentle, honest, generous, so on. That is an important foundation. But, you know, we don't just want others to think of us as a nice person. We want them to know that we're Christian and that's why we're good. When they ask about my weekend, I make sure to say I've been to church and enjoyed it. We Christians have something that's kind of gone missing in our society and that people crave, a caring community. Let's Talk it up. Our friends might be motivated to check it out for themselves. I also try to get Jesus' name into the conversation. So in the wake of this passage, I might say, we heard what Jesus really thinks about religious hypocrites. It was challenging. Just see where it goes. When people are going through tough times, I offer to pray for them. That is so good. It's caring. It gently reminds people that God is there and we can call on him in our weakness. Of course, then you do need to pray and make sure you follow up and find out how things are progressing. You might be able to pray some more. And of course, we should be praying for our great God to open doors and to bring people and opportunities to speak into our lives. 
Did you notice that incredible promise from Jesus? When you find yourself in a hostile situation, God's spirit will be with you and teach you what to say. Again, we see this in the book of Acts. When the disciples are dragged before the courts, they speak boldly about the Jesus they know. This promise is for us too. God will give us boldness to speak up about Jesus. He's got your back. He will not leave us alone. We are living in momentous times. A worldwide pandemic, now a war in Europe. Who knows? Perhaps God in his kindness will use these events to wake up our world, to draw our friends to him, to open their hearts to hear about the good shepherd, the one who can calm our fears and who welcome us into the courts of heaven. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank and praise you for sending us a good shepherd. Thank you for his life of perfect integrity. Thank you for his death as a ransom for many. We gladly take refuge in him and humbly bow before him as Lord. Please, Father, forgive our hypocrisy, our resistance to your word. Please fill us with your spirit and with faith and obedience. We pray for our leaders here at the lakes. Thank you for them. Please protect them from hypocrisy and the fear of other people. Grow their godliness and humility and integrity. We pray for ourselves. And this morning we also pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia. Please give us boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might speak of Christ truly. Please grow your kingdom in these last days. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.